Well, good morning. We're continuing our series on war and peace, discovering the best ways to deal with conflict, uh, God's ways. And uh, just by way of review, I, I invite you to, to uh, see, re- last week we talked about uh, the opportunity. And, and it said, every time I face conflict, I am faced with an opportunity. Say that with me. Every time I'm faced with conflict, I'm faced with an opportunity. Did anybody have some opportunities last week? Yeah, isn't that funny how that works? Yeah, yeah, we, I had some opportunities, so I, I, I'll tell you that much. An opportunity to deepen relationships, right? An opportunity to find a better solution or to learn a new skill. But today we want to we wanna look into what can I actually do when I'm dealing with conflict? What can I actually do? What, what is it, what is it that, that, that I can put into action? Uh, now, I, my mom loves to tell a story. By the way, my mother and my, my big sister are here with me this morning. Just go ahead and wave, you guys. It's a joy to have her here. So, so my mom and was having a, a little uh, power struggle with my brother uh, when he was four years old. My mom loves to tell the story. And, uh, and so that little conflict going on with a four-year-old, uh, at one point in frustration, my brother turned away and, and in that four-year-old voice muttered under his breath just loud enough for mom to hear, you stupid. And my mother went, young man, what did you say? And he spun around and looked and the wheels are turning in his head. And he goes, Stupid, me, stupid. <laughs> he knew where to point the finger <laughs> when it was time for conflict, right? And, uh, and I tell you, uh, he was no dummy. And, and uh, we, we, we entitled this passage or this uh, lesson today, Dummy for Conf- uh, 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 Conflict for Dummies. And there's a whole genre of these books, right? Out the, the Four Dummies collection. Do you know how many titles there are? 1,800. 1,800 different titles. And yes, even, you know, how to make toast. I, I don't know. But uh, toast for dummies. But uh, the important thought that we want to look at today, this is what we're focusing in today. In dealing with conflict, remember, I can only be responsible for me. Now turn to your neighbor and, and say, I'm only responsible for me. Okay, you just tell them that. You let them know, right? Uh, and actually, it's better said, the, the one thing I know is this, folks. I can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, grow in the way that I deal with conflict. That's the truth. That's the conviction I want you to walk out of here with this morning. I can, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I can't do it all myself, but by the help of the Holy Spirit, I can grow in the way that I deal with conflict. At the end of the day, the only person I can change or ever hope to see change happen in is not that other person, but it's in me. As, uh, as Romans 12:2 says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Getting that new thought and, and that new feeling and behavior, that transformation that happens when we allow God 
to do a deep work within us. And isn't that what it's about? Learning to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. All right, so today, where do I start with me in this conflict? What is it? And I have three suggestions on, on that. First of all, get your bearings. It, this is a nautical term, but you gotta find out where are you at on the map, so to speak. And I don't know if you're a map person, but when, when Gwen and I went to Mexico City 20 years ago, they handed us a, uh, a map that wasn't just a fold-out map of the city. This was a 130-page book that was, that was different planes, you know, of, of the entire city. And a 130-page book trying to figure out exactly where you were on the map was, was the huge challenge, right? Huge challenge. Well, when it comes to conflict, that's kind of what we're looking at this morning is finding out, getting your bearings, finding out where, where are you at in all of this. And so it, within finding your bearings, I suggest that you first and foremost ask God for wisdom. Because like that 130-page map, right, you don't, we can't possibly figure it out on our own. We need to ask God, show me where I'm at on this. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. James 1.5, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Aren't you glad for that? Without finding fault. And it will be given to him. James 3.17 and 18, he goes on and, and describes where this, what kind of wisdom this is and where it comes from. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Look at that, that uh, list there of what's in that verse because when we go to God and ask him for wisdom, this is the kind of wisdom that God gives. And, and James gives us this incredible list of characteristics. First of all, it's pure. This is the same root word that, that uh, speaks about holiness, God's character. In fact, the wisdom from God reflects his character. It's peace-loving. That wisdom that we're asking for in that conflict is already predisposed to peace. Considerate. That means gentle, patient, and that gentleness is the very spirit of Jesus and who he is. So when we're asking for wisdom, we're asking really for the spirit of Jesus into our lives. Submissive. Now that, that's an interesting translation here, but it literally means easy to be entreated, open to reason, ready to be convinced. And I would ask you in conflict, are you, are you a difficult person to approach? Or are you predisposed to, to listen? Predisposed to be ready to be convinced. The wisdom that comes from God has that characteristic. Full of mercy. Impartial and sincere. Fair-minded, in other words. Not twisting, not twisting the facts of any kind of argument or conflict for your gain to, to make you win, but but fair, impartial, and sincere. 
That's when we ask God for wisdom, that's what we're asking for. And at what level of the conflict are you at? You, you see, finding yourself on that map, getting your bearings, there's, there's a list I have this morning of seven levels of conflict. And conflict tends to have its stages, right? So what does that look like? Level one is no conflict. That's a good place to be, right? Productive communication is the key here, and people feel free to express differences of opinion when they arise, you know? And, and the idea here, is, again, is unity is the goal, not uniformity. We don't always have to believe and think the same ways all the time, 100% of the time. It's okay, right? But we're, we're, we're communicating openly. But then there's a second level is, is latent conflict. It's typical of that it starts with one person. One, one person is feeling it within that relationship, and the other person may not even be aware of it. But uh, there believes that there's some goal differences that exist. Uh, and, uh, and so feelings of concern begin to grow in that person's mind. And, uh, and, and we're still in good, uh, good place here. Level three becomes problem solving. So once that, that, that latent conflict begins to open up, that person says, hey, you know what? We got an issue here. We got something we got to work on. Uh, that, uh, that, that this is a good place. A lot of good things can happen at this stage. Information sharing, risk taking, desire for change, right? Uh, some good communication can happen at, at this problem-solving level. The challenge becomes that we remain focused on the problems and not slip into being focused on personal issues where, where uh, we start to begin to feel like we're being attacked as, as a person, right? Which is where it takes us if we're not careful. We slip into a dispute, level four. This is when a, a problem to solve also carries with it uh, needs-sitter conflicts. In other words, uh, it, it, it really is about me and what's going on with my feelings and, and, uh, and my personhood. And really at this point, at level, of, of, uh, level four, it becomes kind of that tipping point. We, we have a great opportunity here. It can still be very constructive, or it can, it can be turned into something very destructive. And depending on how we choose to respond to that uh, makes all the difference. A person has a hard time focusing on problem solving if they don't feel respected and valued. And, that's, and that becomes the issue. Once we cross that line of not feeling respected and valued, that's, that's, when, that's when this thing will now escalate to the next level, and that's le next level five is help. Help, this is where people no longer manage their conflict and it's gotten out of control. And what we tend to do here is we tend to start looking and building camps, right? We start looking for support. Now, in a positive sense, if we go look for help with a counselor, if we're looking for help with a uh, mediator uh, or, or a lawyer, the, the, somebody who's, who's willing to play a third-party role, taking into account each person's issues together, that's great. That can still be a positive thing and help us getting back to problem-solving. 
The big deal is here is when we're at this level and we're seeking help, too oftentimes we go and talk to friends or we talk to uh, other, other family members and we're looking for camps. We're building our case, right? And that is when it, when it slips into a destructive mode where, uh, where the people aren't, uh, aren't looking for the results, they're looking to build their case. Then level six becomes fight or flight. Here the goal is either total avoidance or total destruction or defeat of the other person. And uh, broken relationships ends up being the results here of, of this kind of uh, stage of conflict. Then it, at, ultimately it becomes at the level of intractable conflict. And this is what we're seeing played out right now this week in the Middle East once again, isn't it? Where... where the cause and maintaining the conflict is more important than finding solutions to the conflict. The hope for change is lost and, uh, and leaders of the cause come to the forefront and, and it just becomes an incredible mess. Now let me ask you this, how, how will we get back to problem solving? Ask yourself the question, what level of, the, of my current conflict am I at? Find yourself on the map. Ask the Lord for wisdom and say, Lord, how, how do I get back to something that's constructive, that's helpful when I'm dealing with that conflict? And then also, not only ask God for wisdom and assess where you're at on the map, but ask God for self-control. When you're in that conflict, this, more than anything else, is, is huge. God, will you give me the fruit of your spirit? Will you give me that self-control? Romans 12, 17 through 19, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, there it is, that personal thing, right? Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. Do not leave, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So can I ask you a question this morning? Are you an angry person? Because that, when we, when we allow ourselves to slip into that unresolved anger, unresolved forgiveness, it can tend to eat away at us and it becomes counterproductive to finding the solutions that, that we need in that moment. Mark Twain said it this way, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Anger is that acid. Someone else said let us not look back in anger, nor forward in fear, but let us look around in awareness. Getting, getting that perspective of where are we at, where are we at on the map, is a great place to start. I, as we talk about this anger thing, I remember... My son Tyler surprised me a few years back when, when he, uh, he said, Dad, you know, you, 
you gave me hope that I could change when I was 16. And, uh, and it, it surprised me a bit because I, I wasn't sure what he was talking about. He said, no, remember when, you, when I came home at 16, pulled into the driveway, and that I had had an accident. And I, and I remember him coming home with that. And, and, and in fact, he pulled into the driveway, he came in, you know, head down. You know, you know the drill, right? Dad, I need to have you come outside here for a minute. And I follow him outside, and he gives me some, some vague reason as to how it actually happened. Right? 16-year-old, right? There's always a story behind that. And, uh, and, uh, and he, he thought at that moment that I was just going to flip out. And why wouldn't he? I'd done it before. There have been other moments when I'd, when I'd let, let myself go. But in that moment, I, I just looked at him and said, well, was anybody hurt? No, no, nobody was hurt. I said, well, Tyler, these things happen. And plus, it was his car. He'd pay for it. Uh, you know. <laughs> so these things happen. I turned around, walked back in the house, left him standing there in the driveway like, what just happened? But you see, I was 16 once. And I pulled into the driveway and I went in and I had to call my dad out. And for whatever reason, my dad responded very much the same way. And I gave him a nondescript answer, you know, as to how it happened, very vague, because I didn't want to tell him the whole story. But my, my father at that moment went really easy on me. He breathed out grace onto my life. And it changed our relationship. You see, when we, when we breathe out grace, when we inhale that grace and mercy, we can breathe it out to others. So find your bearings when you're in that conflict. Ask God for that grace. And then get some tools Secondly, get some tools. Learn, learn some new behaviors. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear friends, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So what are some tools? You know, I love this quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. First of all, the first tool I can suggest to you this morning is Pay attention to all of your communication, not just your words. Pay attention to all of your communication. I was, uh, I, and studies show that 55% of our communication is, is our, our physical, our body posture. 38% is considered our tone, and only 7% of our communication is our words, Right? And I can tell you this is true from my, uh, my own anecdotal experience. You see, Gwen and I have intense conversations at times. I don't know if you believe that, right? But my wife and I, there are occasions where we have these intense... In fact, I had an illustration I wanted to bring with to you this morning. Uh, yesterday, Gwen and I couldn't, dis as we talked about it, we couldn't decide what actually happened, so I decided not to share any details. Right? <laughs> we couldn't agree on that part. 
suffice it to say, there were, in an intense conversation recently about an important decision, my words were incongruous with my posture and my tone, and therefore, what I said is not what Gwen heard. How often does that happen, right? Pay attention, if we will pay attention to our total communication, it'll help us when we're in that conflict. Second, learn, learn uh, this tool that I, I've picked up over the last eight years or so called the and stance. And stance. And it comes out of a book called Difficult Conversations. And this is a great, great read. Uh, but it, 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 the idea is that instead of, when you're in a, a, a heavy, intense conversation, so oftentimes what we do is as we're listening to someone, we're, we're formulating our next answer, right? And, we, and what do we say? Yes, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So they present their case, yes, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And what we do is we, we use that short, simple conjuncture, word, but, to divide ideas. What if we took and threw out the word but and used the word and? So we're having a conversation about priorities. You need to spend more time with the kids. Yes, and I also need to be bringing home a paycheck, right? What I did is connected those two ideas rather than separate them. We so easily say, yes, I do need that, but I got to do this. And we, and we divide things rather than bring them together. Let me tell you, for me, and, and I'm just a student learning as I go, right? But for me, that has not, not so much changed the conversation out here, but it's changed my thinking in here. It causes me to connect ideas rather than separate them. And I want, you, I want to just pass that along as a tool for you this morning. Finally, a third tool I want to share with you if, to get some tools is to learn a good apology. Unless you're perfect, you're going to need this. Right? Unless you don't ever plan to ever do anything wrong or ever offend anybody ever again, believe me, you're going to need this. I think we have a, a bit of a, a problem in the world today in that uh, we, we try to pass off apology as, as, as simple as two words, my bad, like that's enough, right? <laughs> well, you know, if we'll learn a good apology, and this comes from our transformational leadership, this, uh, some studying and, and work we've been going through. Some of you have participated in that seminar. Uh, it, this six-step apology comes from that, and I just want to share this with you. First of all, state the offense. I did it. Whatever it is, I did it. So when, when you're in that conflict, when you're confronted with the, the need to apologize, say yes, I did it. Own it and state the offense. Admit you were wrong. I did it. I was, I, I was, it's really hard to say that word sometimes. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Step three, apologize. And they, they flow really good together. I did it. 
I was wrong, I'm sorry. You got three steps out already. Important one is number four. Ask the question, can you forgive me? Will you forgive me when you can? And, it, and for some, if, if your offense is that grievous, it may not be that that person's able to forgive you at that moment. So you say, will you forgive me when you can? And then wait. You don't have to be in a rush. Let that person respond. And then this is the game changer, five and six. Ask for accountability, step five. It says, will you hold me accountable for this? I did it. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And will you hold me accountable? I don't want to do this again. What you do in that moment when you, when you make that statement is now you truly take a place of humility. Because you're saying, I want your help. I want you to be part of the answer here. And that means something. That's different. And then, ver- and then the sixth step, and this is one where it takes a lot of courage, is to ask, is there anything else? While we're at it, while I'm asking for forgiveness, is there anything else that I need to ask forgiveness for? And that takes a lot of courage. Because it might just be on your first time out with this new tool that there's a whole list, right? That there might be something, a long list there that you're going to have to have to deal with. But what you're doing in that conflict is you're, you're taking the place of humility and respect and opening it up. Let's look again at the Bible. What does it say? Re- reminding us that... Uh, Resolving conflict starts with me. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the, spirit of the, uh, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So finally, once we get our bearings, we get some tools We need to get a grip. We need to look inside ourselves. Look at ourselves, because that's where it it all boils down to. Interpersonal conflict so oftentimes comes wrapped up as kind of a, a judgment. A judgment of intentions, a judgment of opinions, a judgment of personal motivation. And and really it seeps into who we are as as people, our identity. Well, Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Don't you love how Jesus uses a humorous metaphor, right? You got log jam eye, all right? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will clearly, you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And Jesus is simply saying, look at yourself. 
what's your contribution to the situation? Right? When, we, when we look at our own contribution, that begins to change the conversation. And our identity becomes so wrapped up in that, especially in interpersonal emotional conflicts, our identity really becomes, comes at stake there. And, uh, and, we, and there's three common questions that, uh, that attack our, our personal identity. Three concerns that, that seem to surface. And that, the first question is, am I competent? When I'm, in a, when I'm in, a, in a conflict, when it's heated, some of the, the emotional stuff that bubbles up is, is, that, is this question, am I competent? I can tell you, in that, in that scenario of being lost on the streets of Mexico City, where I, I'm the driver and my navigator's furiously trying to find out where we're at on the map, and the next block there are, there are one-way signs going both directions, True story, right? Uh, I, I'm asking myself, am I competent? Am I a good leader? Am I a good husband? Am I a competent pastor? These are all things that roll into, into some of the, 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 the conflict questions, right? And we begin to defend, try to defend ourselves. And the myth here is that I am what I do and that my performance is my identity. Can I tell you that's a myth? Second question, am I a good person? We want to be liked and respected. So oftentimes we withhold things that we might say because we might see them as hurtful. And so we don't put it out there and become 100% honest. And so therefore we're burying things. We, 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 we don't put it out there because we want to be perceived as nice. Can I tell you, I think we have an epidemic in the church today where we, we care more about being nice than we care about being loving and truthful. It's a challenge. And the myth here is that being nice and more, is more important than being loving and truthful. A third question that comes into play in our identity when we're in the middle of conflict is, am I worthy of love? Our own self-doubt about our acceptance by others can cause us to react in those difficult conversations. And any verbal attack that may happen when we're in the middle of, a, of that kind of conversation only confirms what we've been believing about ourselves all along. The myth that only perfect people are worthy of love. And really, at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not worthy of love anyway. But we fight for it. We fight for it. Can I tell you, God answers, has answers to all these myths. And it's found in, in Scripture. And I want, I want you to, this morning as we close up, I want you to just soak in the truth of God's Word. I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage. But I just want you to, I just want you to listen and soak it in. And you read along uh, in your mind as, as it's up on the, on the passage. But this is the answer to all of our identity questions as we look in his word. 
as Paul writes, and we know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is that he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for, the sake, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, you can celebrate here, folks. <laughs> in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you're struggling with identity, if those things are being threatened in you, know this this morning. In Christ, all your identity questions are answered. You are loved. You are chosen. You are grace-filled because he's poured out his grace on you. We said that when it comes to conflict, I can only be responsible for me, but thank God that it's the Holy Spirit, it's the presence of Jesus in us that gives us the hope of any change. 